What's up, bikers? Episode 142. Today, we're going to have Chris from Ministry Cycles. I'm really excited about this. First of all, Happy New Year's, everybody. I know it's been a while since I've been on. I um, wasn't expecting to take off during the month of December, but you know what? I just felt like it was the right thing to do for for the for the time being. So it is what it is. <clears throat> Here we are, new year, new new guests. I'm really, like I said, really stoked to talk, talk to Chris over here. He's definitely doing something a little different. So thanks to one of the subscribers out there that went ahead and sent me a message on Instagram with his his uh, his page. And um, here we are. So if you ever have an idea for a show, feel free to, to reach out to me. Like I said a minute ago, Instagram is probably one of the best or Facebook, one of those two. Obviously, um, you can comment on YouTube, but it doesn't really make for a good two-way conversation. So that, I guess, is a good reason to go over to one of those two places and give me a follow at BikerB1. That'd be great. I like seeing those numbers. Those numbers get a little bigger. So anyways, if you're listening on YouTube, you know you know what to do. You know, smash that thumbs up or hit the subscribe or however you want to say it. Basically, do the things that other YouTubers are always begging you to do because it's, um, like I said, it's just motivating. So that's really what it comes down to. Thanks to all of you guys that have written a review for the podcast over on on the Apple Podcasts uh, page. That's really rad. Every time I go over there and check it out, it makes me really excited. So I really appreciate that. And of course, thanks to everybody on Patreon that continues to support me and the channels because if it wasn't for you guys... <clears throat> It's definitely times that I'd be like, you know what? I'm walking away. But every time I think about that, I'm like, hey, those guys over there on Patreon, give me their hard-earned money. You can do that as little as a buck a month or five bucks and uh, just really help it out. So keep beer in the fridge, camera parts, all the things. <laughs> it's way more expensive running one of these channels than I ever thought it would be when I first started. It's like, yeah, just buy a GoPro. You're good to go. Apparently not. So <laughs> anyways, I'm gonna bring Chris back on here. How's it going, Chris? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good, good, man. Um, where where are you where are you located? I forget. I'm in uh southwest Washington, so just southwest. across the river from Portland, Vancouver, Washington. But I don't even say Vancouver anymore because uh yeah. there is a much larger Vancouver, uh That's which funny. which is uh I, I hear good things about. So when you say yeah, Vancouver, yeah. everybody's like, oh man, meet me at, and it's like, no, I wish I could, man. That's, that's not where I am, but um, yep. Southwest Washington. That's hilarious. I've actually ridden up in that area quite a bit. I had some family that lived in uh Longview, just North of where you're at. Yep. And I used to go up there and ride in the Portland area and stuff like that kind of frequently. So lots of good stuff up that area. Yeah. Way. Yeah. We're very lucky. I'm fortunate. There's some stuff right from the house, which is kind of my daily driver uh material and then uh hood river's not super far away with post canyon and uh sandy and some other stuff that's it's pretty cool right on man so there's probably a lot of people out there have never heard of ministry cycles you want to give me the uh the elevator pitch on what you're doing over there yeah yeah I mean, we've done we've done quite well for a, a company that hasn't uh really uh launched yet or made any products so uh, <laughs> uh it's it's totally fair if you haven't haven't heard of us uh we we've made a lot of noise with a prototype i've been i've been working on um and there's uh, there's me and then there's this new company and I, I i go way back i'm sort of ancient as the trees um but the latest thing that i'm doing is is this uh cnc machined 70, 75 aluminum bicycle frame that's built around the suspension system i developed and patented quite some time ago 
and uh, just really built it as a vehicle for two things. One, to explore what we can do with the suspension system, and then two, to explore what we can do with uh, new rapid manufacturing methods that are a little different from the traditional way one would start a bike company. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I've watched some, or I've watched a bunch of your stuff on Instagram. You, you're, you've been putting a lot of information up there. It sounds like you've been in the industry for quite some time. You wanna maybe tell, tell a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. The, re the real short version is I, um, I launched uh, an e-commerce uh, bike shop back in 1997. Uh -huh. And, um, and that's always trippy because I, I talked to a lot of people that are like, uh, you know, I'm OG internet. Like I had a website in 2010 and it's like, oh, you're adorable, man. Like in, in 1997, <laughs> you were making a lot of stuff up. Like I was a lot of code that got written and uploaded over a dial up modem. Right. Um, and we, we kind of, uh, earned our turn, uh, with the, with the amount of work that went into it. But, um, it, it really took off and I, I didn't expect it to be uh, to, to, to go as well as it did. And I mean, we were never I come I don't I don't come from from uh, a, a wealthy background or anything like that. We, it wasn't a big uh, pa uh, heavily financed passion project. It was 100 percent bootstrapped. And so uh, we made it all up as we as we went. I hadn't owned right. a business before. My wife and I just kind of jumped in and went for it and uh, set up shop in this little uh old one room schoolhouse out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Southwestern Pennsylvania and, um, great riding in the area. If you like rocks, we were all into rock gardens and, uh, yeah, yeah. that's and, hilarious. Uh, I'm actually from, uh, from South central Pennsylvania to tell you the truth. I'm from York. All right. Yeah, you yeah. So yeah, you know, so, yeah. uh, there was a lot of like when 29ers came out, it was all like, well, this is going to be so much better for rock crawling. You know, I didn't even the, <laughs> like handling and Gary Fisher center of gravity and everything that, Hey, that's cool too. I didn't even think of that, but look, I can go over this rock that I used to fall yeah. in between before. But Man, uh, I'll tell you what, those rocks back there, it's been a long time since I was at home riding. And this summer, um, I went back and it was like the first time I've ridden back in Pennsylvania in probably like 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, 20 years ago, what we were really riding on, I mean, we were basically riding fully rigid, like road bikes with fat tires, almost a oh. gravel bike, right? I mean, oh, basically yeah. back in the 90s, yeah. right? Yeah. And so like the trails that we were riding were not the trails that they're building now. So I definitely went back with a different mindset, like, oh, I'm going to go tear this place up. And man, I got my ass handed to me a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah, it's definitely some good stuff there. And the tech is like way different than what I'm used to out here on the West Coast because it's like uh, we don't have to deal with rocks that are slippery out here. Like when we see rocks, we're like, oh, sweet. That's like that's going to grip. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I got, I got plenty of slippery rocks, but it's a different kind of thing. Like the, the rocks uh, back east, you have the, I, the only way I've been able to communicate it to people who haven't ridden out there is if you picture like a, a medieval graveyard from like yeah. a, like a B movie or something and then just put all all the tombstones really close together and at all kinds of jagged angles and then just yeah. ride over them um because you know usually there's a kind of flow to the rocks that you can find on even some techie trails uh here in the west but in the east it seems like they're all uh sharp and pointed right at you and yeah. uh and and they're kind of deep in between so it's all about kind of momentum and uh yeah, and then they uh, sprinkle leaves on top of them so you can't see any of the cracks. <laughs> the, the hidden stuff, yeah, the hidden stuff got me. I'm still nursing a little bit of broken ribs from the the the, the leaf trap. Uh, even out here, out out west, I I went over something I'd gone over a million times. But um, 
there was some leaves over top of everything and the roots underneath were all super off camber and slip, more slippery <laughs> than usual. And it was one of those just like body slam before you could even get an arm down. So I'm still yeah. kind of yeah. recovering from that a little bit. But yeah, that was always fun too. Like the mystery, the leaves all accumulate and you see like the iceberg tip of the rock, but uh, there's all kinds of badness lurking down in there. And yeah, I, I, was I, filming, I hear you. I was filming on this trail and I was literally just got done telling the camera like, oh man, that other trail that I rode earlier was not as fun as this one, but th this one seems a lot easier. And right about then I was upside down with my handlebars shoved into my stomach and I was like heaving and you know, like, like knocked the wind out of me. The, the yeah. freaking bell was rung the whole thing. I was like, oh man. Apparently, I need to like turn the, the the attention up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a whole whole different animal. The 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 pace is what's different. The opposite coming out west from originally riding so much in the east, everything was super slow speed. Yeah. So I still consider myself a, a, a terrible uh, bike handler and everything at speed. I've I've gotten okay, but. Uh, I used to ride motorcycles a lot, and that's kind of come in handy. But for the most part. Um, everything used to be these kind of slow speed maneuvers and figuring out yeah. picking lines and calculating stuff. And and when you were flat out, it was a little more open section or, or a climb if you had the Watts and stuff like that. But uh, out here, you know, being able to just properly reel a berm and, and, and just good riding technique is, is something I was way off the back on growing up on the East coast. And that's yeah. on me too. You know, there are plenty of people, some of the best riders in the world come from right in my, in my neighborhood there. But uh, I was all into just, rock crawling trying to scrabble yeah. up and down really steep stuff and that was really fun trying to put it together a little 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 chess game how you get through a section yeah and uh and that, that was super fun and that heavily influenced kind of the early days so that was what i did um started that company and uh and and that did pretty well and we sort of specialized in custom built bicycles so mm -hmm. We did a couple things that that I think were fairly innovative uh, for the time. We did a lot of uh, just-in-time uh, delivery because our velocity was so high with orders and distributors had so much that uh, so much stuff that we we were constantly ordering every day and pulling orders in and shipping things out. And we had kind of a flow going. Mm -hmm. So you know, I didn't know anything. I just knew that. Um, uh, my business skills included uh, knowing that uh, you needed people to pay you and you needed to pay people for the things that you gave to people <laughs> who were paying you. And right. so it, it occurred to me, you know, that uh, we our volume, people wanted a lot more than than we could buy an in inventory with with no uh, financing or anything like that. And so we uh, we did a lot of just in time uh, ordering and we were flipping things out. Everything was our, we were moving through so much product that everything was arriving in one day and going back out. And uh, and that worked pretty well. And only what, what like, uh, you know, 25 years later, do I learn that that's a, a, a negative cash conversion cycle that Amazon nailed and it's some genius move or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> I, I just called it survival. Um, and, and then it, it came in handy because back in the day, you know, we were custom building bikes. We were doing a lot of component sales where we were custom building bikes, too. And that was still a pretty novel idea. You had some of your mail order guys before there was even the internet, you know, your guys with catalogs and stuff, but like we a, like really, NASCAR or like yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. And yeah. some little guys, I can't even remember some of the names and everything, but, but we really kind of went all in where there was like a fit system we had online and we were super into communication. So, you know, it wasn't unheard of to exchange a hundred emails with a customer who was thinking about yeah. a bike and, and, you know, we really became there was some some 
gravitational pull to us because we were riding all these cool bikes and there weren't a lot of places that were riding these little boutique brands, uh, let alone all of them to be able to mm -hmm. compare. So if somebody called and said, you know, how's a horse link ride compared to a single pivot Santa Cruz back in the day, or, you know, mm -hmm. what should I, should I buy a, a Titus racer X or should I buy a, you know, it's good mountain cycle, San Andreas, you know, and all these questions and stuff was really exotic. Um, so people really respected that we were we were really uh, straight with them about how things rode, the upsides, the downsides, and we mm -hmm. got a pretty good reputation that way. We well, didn't have YouTube or anything like that to go look at for like reviews and stuff. I mean, even websites didn't really have reviews and things like they do now. Where no, I mean, it's so no. easy to go out and get people's opinion and kind of weigh, like, okay, well, eighty percent of the people are saying this, and there's twenty percent of them that are saying that, and. Five yeah. percent of them hate everything, and you know what I mean. Like, yeah, you know, right, right, right. Build an opinion, I, you know, by by logic, you know. But back then, yeah. it was definitely. I mean that that's why like the local bike shop was so important to go into because they yeah. actually knew, you know. Yep, yep. And so I mean, we essentially we we had a local presence too. We we essentially were were that, and we treated it that way. You know, somebody would mm -hmm. the way somebody would come in and say, "Hey, man, I need a, I broke my handlebar. I need a new handlebar. What do you, what do you recommend?" Uh, we were just doing that via email and and phone calls and uh, and getting quite a few of them, and then um, we had, we did have to inventory a lot of these frames because um, if you go way back, you you, you recall that uh, you know Santa Cruz and and Titus and some of these brands would have like I don't know like forty five color combinations. Like there was a time when you'd buy Santa Cruz and you could get a different color swing arm from your front triangle and you could go oh, nuts wow. with it. And uh, so by the time you built the whole bike up, to, it was very difficult to have all these frames in, in stock. So we would have to buy as many frames as we could sort of afford and stash away because they never had enough frames to go around. And uh, so we would we would buy a bunch of frames and kind of uh, stash those and have those around so we could try to have some pretty quick turnaround when somebody wanted a custom bike. But that mm -hmm. made it all the more important to uh, save money where we could with the componentry. So that was coming in just in time. Parts were going onto the bikes, and uh, it was a blast. I mean, it was it was really cool to be able to build some of these bikes, and that's what got me really into it is is learning about the bikes, how this bike rides compared to how that bike rides, some of the differences in the suspension behavior and everything. I just I just got obsessed with it. I was always pretty pretty mechanically inclined, but uh, getting to wrench on and and ride so many of those bikes was just a huge inspiration. So before that, that company started, were you just a guy that was into mountain biking, like way in the beginning or yeah, yeah. cyclist or? Yeah. When you mentioned what we used to ride being essentially gravel bikes, I mean, the, any gravel bike uh, being made today is way more robust than oh, my yeah. first, my first mountain yeah. bike, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, uh, I, I had a, uh, which isn't to take anything away from it, but it was a, uh, I had a, um, Jameis Dakota. Uh -huh. And uh, I've, I've done some design work, uh, suspension kinematic stuff for Jameis since, and and I and I was I was talking to them, and and this goes back before even some of them who are there now uh, remember, but it was a obviously a really old frame, and it was uh, you know all steel lugged frame, and uh, I ended up uh, it had a like a road fork, you know, but it was mm -hmm. basically a road fork with tiny, tiny, tiny little thin dropouts. Um, yeah. Yeah, my first giant was 92, I think. And yeah. they said it was oversized tubing. And if you were to look <laughs> at that bike right now, I don't even think 
the the top tube was as or the seat tube was like as thick as my stanchions on my fork right now. Right. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that was oversized. Yeah. You know? Yes. No. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I remember, and I, I think I've told this story a million times, but I I I was riding it one day, and um, because it did essentially have a road fork, uh, I went into something and uh, and I I snapped the the dropouts off of the fork basically mm -hmm. and uh uh i i knew nothing about materials so i i one side cracked and i thought well maybe i can make it home and and the answer to that for anybody else who's who doesn't uh understand how materials work the answer to that is no uh you will not make <laughs> it home uh with half of your fork cracked and uh and so the whole front wheel came off and um ended up having to carry the bike the whole way home uh, which wasn't uh, crazy, but it was several miles away. And uh, uh, this was when I was very young and and a, a, a car pulled up and I thought that this person was maybe going to rescue me and, and help me out and give me a ride. And um, and all, all uh, she did was ask for directions. And <laughs> I, I, I gave her directions to where she needed to go. And I thought maybe, okay, then that's the whole like, oh, then it looks like you need help. Because I literally have my bike slung over my shoulder cyclocross style, except that in my other hand is a front wheel right. uh, with, with part of the fork dangling from it. And she just said, thanks and took Very off. Well. And so <laughs> away I went, carried, carried my bike home. And uh, I forget what I ended up. Oh, they were, they replaced it because they're good. They're, they're good people. So I, I had a, I did end up with a new fork. Um and and rode that for a while and then eventually graduated up into some full suspension bikes some, some mm -hmm. kind of whatever i can manage to afford um cobbled together the the cash uh when i was well, i was an english professor for a while and uh adjunct english professors make uh very 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 little money and i managed yeah. to put put together the funds to get this uh, uh my first full suspension bike was this univega and uh a real basic, you know, faux bar, single pivot, but looking like a horse link kind of suspension layout, super simple mm -hmm. bike, but I love that thing. And I, and I rode it a lot. And, uh, and then a, a crazy friend of mine that I'd ridden with some said, uh, he was starting a bike shop and he needed some help. And so I, uh, because I was an adjunct English professor, pr professor and I worked crazy hours, it was easy to kind of pop into the shop and put in some hours helping him, you know, oh, equally okay. cr crazy hours. And so I started helping helping him, and a lot of the customers really seemed to like me. They 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 like talking with me, and and uh, I just love the bikes and love talking bikes with them, and and that became kind of the inspiration that uh, it would be fun to have a shop. I think a shop would be yeah. cool. Like this is a nice community space, and I I really enjoy this. And it's one of those things. Today they would say that you know you find something you love, and it's it's not like you're working. And it was a little bit like that in that uh, even you know, difficult uh, challenges were still kind of fun because you were right. messing around with toys that you loved. And so, right. um, yeah, that's that that uh, that led to uh, me saying, you know, I think it would be really cool to start our own bike shop, but I'd like to do it on the Internet. I got a yeah. I, I got a feeling this Internet thing's going to going to be pretty big. And, yeah. and my, my wife was like, well, um, we were living in Georgia at the, at the time, uh, briefly. And she said, uh, we wanted to kind of move back to Pennsylvania to be, be by, by family to start our own family. And she said, well, you can start this company, but, uh, when it fails, just, you'll just go back to teaching 
you know, and you can teach high school or something like that. And and my father's a high school teacher and it's, uh-huh. it's insanely hard work, more harder now than it, than it was even <clears> then. <throat> and I used to see the condition he would be in when he came home every day. And so I'd like, yeah, to I was a real was... piece of shit in high school. So I wouldn't want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I can it's... only imagine what they deal with nowadays. <laughs> well, I, I know from my experience teaching that it's, um, uh, when I was teaching a uh, lecture in a, a, a when I was the professor at college lecturing and stuff, it just drains the hell out of you. You know, yeah. I mean, you come home and you're just, you're just, you're just wrecked. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's always the same. You're kind of always on. It's almost like stand up, uh, like doing stand up, just like all the time. And yeah. um, if you take it seriously and you're really kind of trying to convey knowledge, it's, it's a workout. And, um, and so I was really motivated, uh, but it was, crazy times back then you know it was everything was find a computer get it to work um oh no the computer quit working we're going to go out of business find another memory card make it work yourself it was all just like you did it all yourself and had a friend who who could write a little bit of code taught myself to write a bunch of code and away we went we just started adding products got a payment system and uh you had to do it there was no shopify uh back then you had to do it all yourself so um it was uh it was a wild experience and then i thought well you know there we go okay we're live nobody will do this and then the orders just started coming in and that's that's always a wild experience yeah and uh and we knew pretty early on we were just really going to be all about customer service so people had an issue with something they wanted to return something that we were we were there for that yeah right on so that then how did that end up like you getting into a spot where you're deciding to make your own suspension. Yeah. Well, it seemed to be that the thing that you did was you, you started some type of uh, uh, e-com or, or retail component. And then it seemed to be that the way you wanted to grow was, if you remember way back in the day, you know, the Nash bars that you mentioned and stuff, they had their own house branded stuff. Yeah. And the sensible thing to do if you're uh, one of, one of those companies uh, back in the day performance or Nash bar or something was to, to go point to a bunch of stuff in a catalog and and buy a bunch of uh, pumps and and tubes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, and uh, and and sort of white label brand your own uh, stuff yeah, and sell it. it and sell yeah. It. Okay, yeah, and yeah. and and I, my <clears throat> method was uh, what could be the opposite and most difficult uh, version <laughs> of that. And so what I did was I said, uh, well, we need to make our own frames. And and not just make our own frames. We we need to, you know, we need we need to come up with something that's never been done before. We need to do something really cool. Mm-hmm. And so I that had been in my head really from even uh, before the company started. You always want to make your own bike and do cool things and everything. But but the more bikes I rode, the more inspired I was by certain designs. And I was fortunate enough to get to. Uh, get get to talk with with guys like chris cocalis now at, at pivot and joe graney at santa cruz and and you don't need to look any further for inspiration um than than individuals like that mm-hmm. and so it was a it was something that i wanted to do and there were many many misadventures along the way of deciding okay i want to i want to make a bike mm-hmm. um we started off with just some aluminum hardtails uh working with uh Chris Herding uh, out at uh, 3D Racing. Chris was one of uh, John Parker's first welders at Yeti, and he made us some frames. And so we had some some cool hardtail frames. So when you're saying um, we are you talking small about small batch stuff, and and started working on a little brand, and then 
this was right around the time that 29ers happened, which is probably mm -hmm. hard for a lot of people to imagine. But, um, you know, we were all riding around on 26 inch wheeled bikes and then the 29 inch uh, bikes came out and um, Carl at Vicious Cycles built me a 29 inch. This is still fully rigid, you know, back in the day, built me a 29 inch wheel bicycle. And uh, I fell completely in love with the thing. As we said, for kind of crawling over the rocks and just hammering through stuff, the, the wheel size was incredible. So the the problem was, and, and a lot of people probably don't realize this, that back in the day, the, the way most bikes were designed, if you added the large wheel, you had very little travel. It was it was very difficult without making really long chain stays to, to get any type of movement to the suspension system. So there weren't many people making bikes that were both uh, 29 inch wheel and full suspension. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kept bugging Cocalis to, to make a Titus Racer X with uh, uh, with 29 inch wheels. And um, he he finally did. And he made me one. And, and what Titus would do back in the day is if they did a custom bike, they would do a titanium front triangle and then they would uh, fab up a, an aluminum rear end. And so I got this I got this thing made went out, absolutely f fell in love with the bike. And uh, there were no parts available for, for 29ers at the time. So I ended up making my own. You're thinking like, out of like uh, SC. What, and, what, year, uh, what, what year are you thinking this oh, is about exactly. maybe 2008, oh, minute, nine, something like that? Sorry, I had you on mute here for a second. Say again. So what year was that you were thinking? Oh, man, that was probably like 2000 two-ish, 2003. Oh, okay, so even earlier than what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, I think that was it was pretty early on. Um, I'm trying to think of when uh, to go check the garage. I still have the that I still yeah. have that Titus. See if there's a serial number on there that would have any info. Chris might know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember. Like in my mind, for some reason, I was thinking the 29er thing started happening around like 2007 or something like that. But I guess it was earlier. So it might it it. It might have been. I, I might be. I might be off on it. I, I could it be was, totally wrong too, man. So nonetheless, yeah, I was just trying yeah. to get an idea of it. So, so Somebody basically, this, you had this this custom bike made, and that just kind of got you like got got you thinking about how you would do your own, or yeah, I got really into the suspension uh, component and uh, mapping out the pivot points and understanding how things work. And then the twenty nine er piece is really important here because when I mentioned you couldn't get much travel out of the twenty nine inch wheel, what I started obsessing about was well, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And what you need is an axle path that's a little a little more rearward, uh, not as extreme as what you'd see with the high pivots these days and everything. But you do need an axle path that's a little a little more rearward and has a little more control to it. And we were starting to see, so the horse link bikes were pretty well established and you could do a lot with a, with a four bar horse link bike, but the, sh the short link bikes were starting to show up, you know, the early days of, of uh, some of the first DW designs and stuff like that uh, go way back. But you were starting to see some of these some of these designs and it was pretty clear that you could do a lot of things with axle path. And so what, what I had this vision in my head of what I wanted the suspension system to be able to do with the 29 inch wheel and how I wanted that axle path to be, but I couldn't quite, uh, I couldn't figure out how to articulate it. And I didn't have the engineering skills and I didn't have the, uh, uh, I didn't have a way to communicate even to myself what, what I was kind of seeing in my head. So mm -hmm. um, one day I, I ended up 
I just cut some little pieces out of paper and moved them around the way I was kind of seeing what was going on. And, and, and I understood it became clear to me what, what it was this entire time that I was trying to do. And in a nutshell, I don't want to get too in the weeds on it, but with the larger wheels, and this is even more true today now that everybody likes a little lower bottom brackets with, with the 29 inch wheels, your uh, wheel essentially comes up higher, but your, your, your bottom bracket sort of drops down in between the wheels even lower. So that's mm -hmm. why, you know, people love that stability, those low bottom brackets, the heights, those, that feeling of sitting in the bike instead of on the bike. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that when you think about that and you visualize and you say, okay, you got your front axle, your rear axle, and then somewhere in the middle, you got this bottom bracket and it's lower than, than those axles. That's almost like your rear suspension system is halfway through its travel when it's right. static before you even get on it. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so you got to totally redefine the curve, the, the arc of that rear axle. And that's the part that I, I had always struggled with. And then when it hit me like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. What mm -hmm. it involved was having the kind of swing arm almost rotate uh, as, as if the, the, the center point is, uh, is in the middle of your swing arm. Like it mm -hmm. almost kind of rocks back and back and forth on itself, and it lets me do a lot of lot of things with with axle uh, path, and um, and then one thing led to another, and then there were some really positive benefits to to the the leverage ratio, and there's there were some other things that, that as I got more involved in it, um, I I really I, I really started to to obsess about it and like what I was seeing, and, mm -hmm. and I tried working with engineering uh, firms and things like that. But in the end, I'm, I'm kind of a do-it-yourself uh, sort of guy. And I have mm -hmm. a, a good good friend who's an engineer, and he, he showed me enough, uh, uh, Glenn, shout out to Glenn. He showed me enough solid works to be dangerous. And <clears throat> I got really obsessed with with that and, uh, mm -hmm. and went to town on solid works and, uh, and started moving pivot points around. And people think mm -hmm. of solid works and some of these uh, industrial design programs and stuff like that as being able to do shapes and surfaces and stuff, but you can do a lot of little stick figure things and, and uh, manipulate them to get all your, your kinematics and things like that down. Like a model uh, basically. Is what exactly. You're yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic for that. And I, in fact, I still use a version of, of uh, uh, I use on shape these days, which is kind of an online version of based on solid works loosely. Mm -hmm. And you can, uh, it's, a, it's amazing what you can, what you can do. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's that's what uh, it really kind of took off from there. Is how how can we make a, a better suspension system for the big wheels? Um, and there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Uh, what Niner did with the CVA suspension, they were attempting to solve the same problem. So there's you know that what um, uh, Stephen Chris did was kind of kind of similar. Um, there, so what's the name? What's the name of the bike that you're working on right now? So the, well, the suspension system, I ended up calling three VO, which is mm -hmm. just three variable optimized. And I came out with that first and then patented that in 2010, or it was granted in 2010. I applied for the patent in 2007. So I, I guess to go back to what we were guessing with 29ers and everything else like that, we, it probably was around 2005, 2006 or something. Yeah, that yeah, we, yeah. That we were really in the thick of it. Uh, because I apply, I, I got the patent done and applied for it in 2007. It was granted in 2010, um, but I didn't. Uh, I I was busy running the the company, and I really didn't do anything with it for for quite some. It was time. kind of like a little passion project. A little oh time. yeah, very very much. And um, 
and uh, you know, nothing was aligning and it was, uh, there just wasn't the kind of time to put into it. And, um, and a lot of stuff was happening with the, uh, with the online business. I ended up selling the, the online business to uh, some, a private uh, group uh, based in Chicago and tried to hang out there and, and, and work for them for a while, but they, they didn't really have a plan of what they were trying. They're trying to aggregate a bunch of online places, yeah, and build yeah. some empire. And that was kind of a mess. And so I ended up uh, uh, leaving there and only after leaving there and kind of sitting down exhausted and semi broken uh, after 15 years of running my own company and then finding myself without it, that I sit down and say, okay, it's, it's, it's time to think about suspension again. Mm -hmm. And that um, was right around the time that Yeti had come out with the original switch and uh, while I don't, I don't do the moving back and forth um, rotation stuff or anything like that, that, that original Yeti design was the closest anybody had come to the concept I was kind of working on. Mm -hmm. And it was a real wake up call that I, I better get off my ass and do something with this suspension system. So I yeah, or somebody else is going to come up with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, 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 it seemed like it, in some ways, you know, it was both it wasn't so much a, a, an intimidation thing. Uh, purely there's like oh, oh no somebody's going to take it it was more like validation yeah that, wow you know people that i respect are doing things that are kind of similar so may maybe there's legs to this thing and so right. i really uh worked hard to get some some proof of concept for, uh, concept frames made with a with a friend and uh he worked with a place in taiwan was able to kind of get some frames together and i i, I kind of shopped those around and uh at, at that time, I was uh, I was working for uh, Stan's No Tubes, and mm -hmm. I knew a bunch of people through through Stan's, and ended up talking with uh, with uh, Sal at Jameis, and I said said Do you want a sample frame? And 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 they did, and they were pretty blown away with how it how it rode, and so they were uh, revamping their mountain bike line, and uh, and they brought it on, so they've been making a variation of the three VO. Uh, the first generation of 3VO suspension system for a while. But this whole time uh, in, in kind of my back pocket, I'd had the original 3VO design, which was a little stripped down, meaner, simpler. Um, I hadn't done anything with it because it, in part, because it had a really progressive leverage ratio. It was uh, hard to get a leverage ratio below about 30%, um, which is, you know, like that, like 3.05 to 2.1, you know, kind of, kind of leverage ratio well it turns out that that's uh where everybody is now <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh the the suspension system the latest version of the suspension system i developed essentially went back to the original uh concept and it's uh it's super simple and clean and a little lighter and everything it's it's got you know, a few fewer moving parts than the first generation and uh and that's what uh that's what I decided, you know, it would be really cool. All these years, I, I have never really come out with a, a bike, like my own vision of what I'd like to do with this suspension system. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking more and more about that. And the uh, the concept for starting a company came to mind. Um, so this bike that you're working on, is a, it's a 29er or? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's dedicated 29 right now. Uh, there's a lot of modular features and the whole thing is built around agility. So uh, certainly opened all kinds of things in the future, potential for, for the mullet and, uh, and different things. But uh, right now, the first, first iteration, what we created is a 29 inch wheel bike 
150 millimeters rear travel built for 160 millimeter fork um and uh and and, and the dedicated 29 inch wheel so a, a kind of aggressive trail bike mm -hmm. um it, it can I think that's a really good spot to be in, though, honestly. I think a, a lot of people, at least for the last few years, have, in my opinion, been overbiking a, a lot. And then some, I think some of those same people went out and rode like a shorter travel bike and were like, oh, my God, this yeah. is like amazing. You yeah. know, I, I didn't realize what I was giving up. And then somewhere along the line, they're falling into that middle spot where it's like, you know what? I don't want to have 15 bikes in my garage. Let me get a, a quiver killer. And then that like, I think that 150 spot is like, that, that's really it. You know, like yeah. it's big enough that you can, it'll cover up a lot of mistakes, but it's small enough that it doesn't make you feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're pedaling on like a water bed or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the nature of the suspension system itself, it's, it's, it's really high anti-squat. So um, it's always lent itself to really high anti-squat while still being able to be really sensitive. So that, that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the, the secret sauce or the, the magic spot that we have going on because it's, it's, it's pretty easy to generate really high anti-squat, meaning uh, counteracts Bob as you pedal so that the bike is really efficient to climb but it's, it's somewhat challenging to have uh, a really efficient bike that also is real sensitive to small impacts and everything. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in a nutshell, what, what the system does pretty well is, is balance those two. It's super sensitive to small impacts, but it, uh, it is super efficient when you're climbing. And, and then that lets you, when you have that efficiency, you don't have to apologize for behavior with your, with your tune. So you can have a, a really soft suspension tune still get away with a really efficient bike and uh and be able to kind of motor through the the, the chunky stuff uh, usually where you trade off things there is if your suspension system isn't progressive enough then you're a little bit limited because you can't get away with running it that soft because you're just bottoming it all the time but you know the kind of three variable optimized three vo thing is just a a matter of putting all these things together where the progressive leverage ratio the anti-squat and the axle path, you can really kind of create this 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 bike that performs pretty well. And so that was yeah, that yeah. was the heart of it. And then, of course, uh, in keeping with my habit of not ever doing anything the easy way, uh, I didn't want to make like a conventional bike. So if I was going to do a version of the suspension system that was my own uh, brand or my own creation, I started thinking about. Uh, crazy ways to make bikes, you know, way, ways that were a little off the beaten path, not your traditional uh, welded uh, tube construction or carbon. And, uh, and that's what brought me to the, uh, the CNC machine frames. So at this point, um, I think that's the, that's the secret sauce that, you know, is really making people pay attention. I mean, outside of the, the suspension design, which I think that um, the Jamis portal really brought a lot of, of attention to that, that, that uh, suspension design i know for me at least that was the first time i had ever heard of it and i everything that i read about that bike was like how great it handled and how well it felt and you know lots of good things to say about the suspension so but i think now with this ministry bike like where you're cncing or you're machining basically the frame that's that's really interesting because that's not something that's that's normal it's like yeah yeah it's 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 not it's certainly it's been done before um, you you got to give credit to, to, to Paul and to Acto 5 and, and there's some other people doing, uh, doing things too. 
uh, the Gamex guys are doing kind of the I-beam single piece CNC uh, machine frames and everything. But um, you can do some really cool things with it. But it's it's funny from a business standpoint, a lot of people see it and it, it's always interesting to uh, realize the assumptions that, that people make. A lot, a lot of people see it and assume that you uh, choose to to of all available options, you choose this way to do it uh, just because, you know, j just to yeah. be difficult or contrary or something like that. And what I've tried to do with a lot of the stuff I've been doing on social media is um, is is just pull back the curtain and let people see what it what it's really like to try to start a business and develop this stuff. And, I would and, imagine machining something like that. There's a lot of waste in the way that you're you're cutting that that yeah, that raw material, right? Yeah, yeah. Aluminum is has a has a pretty good profile in terms of being able to be reused uh and and, and things like that and you know i know mm -hmm. just even just even these days with the family purchasing things from the grocery store and stuff like that at this point i'm i'm primarily looking beverages in aluminum cans and glass versus plastic bottles everywhere mm -hmm. um and so uh yeah that, that but that it's 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 far from ideal uh, there's just no way around it. It's far from ideal. Any type of what you'd call reductive manufacturing method, meaning the machining versus like additive, you kind of mm -hmm. have the, you know, 3D printing is where you start with with nothing and you build up layer upon layer different ways. And reductive is where you start with a giant block and you carve away. Uh, it's really cool to see what people are doing with with additive. And I think eventually there'll be some more things going on with that. But the... Uh, uh, the reality is right now you can you can still recycle uh, a fair uh, portion of the aluminum and mm -hmm. the, uh, the the CNC machining process is it's still uh, ridiculously expensive and difficult to do, but it is uh, more viable currently than uh, doing something like a like a 3D printed uh, aluminum or 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 steel bike or something like so that. So basically, like, you're you're CNCing like half of the frame and the other half and then how are you yeah. like how do, they, how do you put them together well i to, to to be clear like my my thing is really the suspension system and the uh i need the bike to look a certain way and i'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of obsessed with uh, certain certain looks from going way back and how, how a bike needs to look and feel Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm obsessed with the ride characteristics, but I I, I know my limitations, and so I worked with a, a, a design firm, freelance engineer, to be able to do the FEA analysis and the surfacing and everything on the frame, and and that was uh, a company called Serta Design out of the UK, uh, Jordan there uh, I worked mm -hmm. with, and we did kind of the uh, worked out the shapes and and figured out how things are gonna basically how we're going to mold a frame around those kinematics to keep the suspension system happy, uh, but have something that, that looks really cool. And then, okay, how can we make it? And the original plan was really to do something that could be constructed a little more like the Atherton bike with, with lugs and, and kind of tubed or machined uh, pieces. Mm -hmm. And it would be many more pieces. But as I started to uh, look at it, the, the the costs were exorbitant either way and it was it's it's pretty intensive to do and it it really wasn't radically different to do larger pieces versus smaller pieces mm -hmm. and 
the reason ultimately that the bike is designed the way it is, is because uh, I, I look like just a crazy person building hot rod bicycles, but I'm actually making a play here for a much larger manufacturing uh, method, kind of mm -hmm. revitalized manufacturing, where these things, if I can get the final stage manufacturing to the point where uh, I, I don't want to call it Lego, but these big pieces, you have to be very careful and you have to follow a real strict procedure for, for bonding everything together. But mm -hmm. it's, it's way simpler and requires way less tooling than mm -hmm. what you would get with a carbon frame uh, or a, uh, uh, or a traditional welded uh, aluminum or steel frame or tie frame. And so what it does is it, it, it doesn't change the amount of work required so much as it uh, distributes more of it to uh, machines. So your precision is higher. Mm -hmm. It removes a bunch of, uh, you know, just, just bullshit noise from the system. I don't have to send this thing someplace else for heat treat to here for this, to here for that. Like it streamlines the entire process. And so mm -hmm. it, in small scale, it's still very uh, expensive to produce each one because there, there's, there's not a lot of volume there and everything. But ultimately, there's a reason. And if, if you look at um, what some people are doing with manufacturing, both in the bike industry, but but uh, more predominantly outside the bike industry, um, you look at like what uh, uh, Zinger and Divergent are doing with uh, hypercars. There's a company called Zinger, C-Z-I-N-G-E-R. And uh, the father-son duo that, that set up this company they're basically 3D printing hypercars and uh, they have a completely automated system. So in addition to making their own really amazing vehicles, they're now doing contract work for the Austin Martins of the world and some of these other companies. I think it's Austin Martin they signed with. It didn't disclose all of them. But yeah. if you need to make really cool things and you you need to make them on demand uh, and you need to make them in a, in a specific quantity, not mass produce them, uh, you need to find new ways to do things. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, in a nutshell, <laughs> my version of sustainability is don't make more than you need. Right. So initially when you started going down this path for how you're fabricating the frame, was it a ride quality thing or was it purely a manufacturing thing? Like which way, what was leading you in, in that direction? It was it was purely a, a manufacturing thing, and then we would have to see what the ride quality was like <laughs> because uh, you know it's not and it's not really the same as um, uh, you, you know like a, like a uh, like a carbon road bike or something like that. I mean, the suspension system is doing a lot of the work on a bike right. like this. You got a lot of a lot of stiffness characteristics and a lot of tunability with with the frame characteristics, and, and you need you need certain components uh, elements to be in place. But um, you can you can make a really stiff carbon bike. You know, you, you can yeah. make a carbon bike stiffer than than you would want to use, and 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 you can do certain things, but it really was what can I do that is a completely different way of manufacturing bicycles? Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of talk you, these but days. On the, on the flip side of what you just said though, I mean, you could also make a bike that's like way too flexy. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. like you yeah. could go in and be like, yeah, this is a great way to do it. And we could do, do it totally different, but you can put, you put your ass on the seat and, and it rides like shit. It's not, yeah, a good yeah, idea. Yeah. You, know? Well, you know, it's funny because somebody asked me, um, 
I'm trying to think, I can't, can't recall who asked me, but somebody asked me, so how's it ride? And I, I, I'm so busy obsessing about all kinds of other stuff that it does ride different. Uh -huh. You know, it doesn't ride like an aluminum bike and it doesn't ride like a carbon bike. Um, it, it's, it's got a really cool feel to it, but, mm -hmm. but I, I, I was so busy. Like I figured I get this thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm investing a, a ton of money into the machining of these things. I'm working with an engineer. I'm working with a factory to do the, do the machining. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a little guy in a garage whittling them together himself. And that's, that's by, by design as well, because the, the alternative is, you know, take a welding class, make a, a bitch and high pivot steel hand-built frame with a, you know, and just kind of go, 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 and then give it a cool paint job. That's cool, but that's not really reproducible. And I want to be mm -hmm. somewhere in between, yeah. you know, Santa Cruz and the company making 14 frames a year. Right. So the idea is that it is a, a pretty radical way of doing it, but could, but it could scale. So I was so obsessed with like, okay, you get this thing. And, uh, you know, if, if you've ever, uh, people out there have ever kind of put a lot of time into something and there's that uh, unveiling, whether it's, you know, a, a, a paper you feel good about that you wrote for, for school or whether it's, you know, so, something you did that you hand off and, and get people's reaction to. Mm -hmm. uh, when you first do something like this, I get these pieces, I bond them together in my garage, I go ride the thing, and you're just so amazed that it it works. You know, there's there's so much that could go wrong that um, that whole process, I, I didn't get around to thinking about like, well, how is it behaving mm -hmm. until, you know, 200 miles later? So how do you uh, bond it together, though? What what did you, how do you do that? Well, the 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 design is 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 made for the the bonding process so the entire uh -huh. thing and there's there's not one specific way to do this and and I got, I got a lot of people uh dming me asking you know how, how how they would do it themselves and things like that there's not one particular way to do it but you need super tight tolerances which you can achieve with with the machining right um and you need um what the the way we did it is we have giant lap joints that that run the whole perimeter both you know if you, if you think of a frame as a as a as a kind of complex uh little easter egg you know that thing comes uh if it's hollow on the inside comes apart in two pieces well there's got to be like sleeves you know a way for the the pieces to fit together Mm -hmm. So there is a giant lap joint there. There's a, a one part of the frame that fits over the other part of the frame. And so you have this enormous seam that runs mm -hmm. the whole way down the middle of the frame. And in terms of uh, bonding, what, uh, what, what the industrial adhesives like is surface area. Uh, you know, the more surface area you have, the stronger it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And and there's some cool there's some cool people doing stuff with with I mean bonding is is not really that unusual at this point. It's been used in the aerospace industry for a long time. Volvo's doing cars with it. So yeah, it's, I, it's, I work for I work for a company that builds ROVs that go on the bottom of the ocean. And there's some of our parts that are made with titanium. And I don't know what the process is, but basically they they bond the like they'll make these channels for hydraulic fluid to go through, so you're mm -hmm. not using any kind of tubing and stuff. And then they'll put these two pieces together and I don't know what the process is, but it basically makes it like 
98% as solid as like, oh, yeah, if it was originally like itself. Yeah. You, you it's know cra I mean? it's so, crazy stuff. I mean, it's yeah. not like what you would, everybody pictures, you know, kind of the super glue type type stuff. This, this is, this is some hardcore stuff. It, it right. is insane what it's capable of. And, um, you know, in terms so, of like, so I would imagine the first question that people are going to have is like, okay, you have this crack, like this, like this, this crease or, you know, this, this, this line all the way around the frame, like, What's the likelihood of it cracking? You know, like. yeah, yeah, uh, very low there. In fact, yeah. um, there's uh, some cool dudes up in up in Bellingham. Uh, Lost bikes uh, did some bonding of frames and stuff like that before, and and they messaged me before I'd created the frame and everything. I was I was checking out what they were doing, really really cool looking stuff, and um, and and uh, they joked that the uh, wor worry about your aluminum wall thickness because everybody acts like the adhesive is going to be the problem. And that stuff is crazy strong. Like that's not yeah. going to be your problem as long as your wall thickness is there because you're going to break uh, the aluminum is going to break before before the bond uh, lets go or anything it. like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, this is all still a uh, this is this is a process. I, I consider it a. uh, uh I full well expected that I would I would invest all this I would I would get these frames and the first one I got I would go outside ride it off the curb snap it in half and come back in and 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 cry yeah. and start over and um, yeah I mean some... I, I'm not that I've designed a bicycle but I've designed a bunch of stuff with my 3D printer and that's usually how the process goes like <laughs> you have this great idea and you try it out and then it doesn't fit or it doesn't or it breaks right away and then you like refine yeah. it and you do it over and over again and after you know, depending on how complex it is, that that's like there's like an like a, a directly proportionate number to how many how many times you do it and how complex it is until you yeah. get to the the uh, the final final point, right? And exactly, you get yeah. There and you're you're stoked, right? So yep. I can yeah, I can uh, uh, totally understand where you're coming from. So it's, at it's this a, point, how many how many of the like how close are you to production? Are you like I know you? Well, you, like, this is a really exciting you, time because we. All this has happened just with the very first one I bonded together. You know, uh -huh. like I said, I expected I expected I would I would bond this one together, and I would take it out and I would beat on it and I would break it and we would learn from it and we would we would start right. over. And um, and the damn thing's just a tank. I mean, it's 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 held together. And so now a couple things are happening. Um, we the the bike I've been riding around on is a little over thirty six pounds, and and I don't mm -hmm. have a lot. Of carbon stuff on her and i got i got some carbon stands wheels shout out to the to the crew yeah. um but i don't have another uh carbon piece on there period everything is pretty standard chunky stuff uh you know marinthal uh -huh. bars and and an aluminum stem and every uh you know uh everything's not really built for lightweight and that's with the sh with the coil spring shock and with with uh, clipless pedals on there and stuff platform clipless so pedals, 36 so. i mean that's a very i'm in the ballpark right but but the yeah. uh but but the frame was still uh kind of heavy for for what it is and we overbuilt the hell out of it with with some of the stuff like some of the areas were just um anytime you do something the first time out you kind of overbuild it and so yeah. what simultaneously what's happening right now is um four of the next version have have just been machined uh the individual pieces and uh if if i if i look and sound ragged it's because i've been i've been kind of working in every time zone with london and, and asia and everywhere where mm -hmm. i'm like uh, 
I basically don't sleep right now. So uh, the there's a lot going on. This new version of the frame, uh, we actually managed to drop 600 grams from it, and you wouldn't know it. I mean, it looks looks the same as the as the generation I'm riding right now, and a lot of it was uh, little things, just like the upper uh, the upper link was real real big before. And have so that's like almost some, a pound and a half. That's, a, that's oh, yeah. a lot of weight. It's a, it's a good bit. It's a good yeah. bit. So, so, you know, I feel like we're starting, in some ways we're starting over because this thing has to prove itself. But but if this thing is strong enough, then we, we have our production bike because all the, mm -hmm. the little bugs have been worked out. You know, you find all these little details. Cable routing was a real, you know, conundrum. Mm -hmm. And we, we ran into all these little things. And, and um, how do you do, how do you do internal routing? with a, a cnc frame like that because you like you yeah i mean you have to think about how cnc i guess you could because uh, they're going together in the middle actually it kind of works out because you could put your your channels there and do half of the channel on one side and half yeah. the channel on the other and then still I, have an actual tube for the the, the hose to go through huh? yeah i didn't get i didn't get real real complicated i, I absolutely hate uh, like I have a, I have a gravel bike that has uh -huh. cables that rattle and I, I just, I, I can't stand it. I, right. I, That's, I absolutely yeah, I'm can't. I'm with you, man. You don't yeah, want to hear it in there banging around. Yeah. Any, any bike that makes noise, I just, I just can't abide. There's a million different ways, but you know, bikes can make noise, but, and so it was a huge concern on this, but to, to try to have specific channels bonded into it, then you got to worry about those coming loose and those rattling themselves and, and everything mm -hmm. else, because, you know, the, the frame wants to just be a big hollow, hollow piece. Right. So what we did was uh, we, we engineered the, uh, the cable ports themselves are, are, are pretty cool. Like they, they hold the cable in place. And mm -hmm. then no matter what, I add a little bit of damping material before I bond the clamshell halves together. And that was another one of those things where I expected that I would go out and I would get, uh, I would, I would get noise. You know, I figured I would have issues like something somewhere I would be having noise and stuff. And mm -hmm. I, and, and, and a lot of it is, uh, you're just hunting for any little sound, any little Creek and stuff like right. that. The cables have been, have been dead quiet, uh, which has just been fantastic. And, um, but they don't have an actual channel all the way through. No, it's not like a like a like a carbon frame where they got the molded you know right. tube in there. It, it's it's uh, there's there's damping uh, just for the frame in general. There, there's there's damping uh, little thin little padding damping in there, and then the actual ports where the cable enters and where it exits, they actually grip the cable, and mm -hmm. so you don't really have a lot of room for for the cables to move around. And then those pieces are modular, so if somebody's running like an AXS system or something like that, then you you don't have to have the uh, mm -hmm. you can have kind of like a blank port that that doesn't have any holes in it. Kind of so how do you pull on. it through? Oh, it's 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 super easy because the windows are so big uh -huh. that you, you feed it through, and I mean you could you can see it approaching the the other one. You know, oh, personally, okay. I just I have a little all I have a little like a like an old. Uh, uh, feedback uh, tools, uh, little all, little, and I just grab it and pull it out. But you could do the same mm. thing with with a Got screwdriver, it. just about anything. It's like a little, like a little park tool pick or something like yeah, that. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. it's it's actually super easy to work on that way. And that's one of those things where you know I spent twenty five years doing doing this stuff. So little things yeah, and that's like hard for me to believe that just the caps like keep it from from rattling in there. <laughs> Well, I think it's partially the where the cable sits in in the frame itself. You know, uh -huh. a lot of it, um, it, it's it, cables are 
like somewhere up there with uh, quantum mechanics and string theory is like bicycle cable <laughs> routing. Because yeah, it's yeah. like what you would presume, the behavior you would presume is not what happens. And, and I, you know, I fell for this, like the first prototype bikes that I ever made. I'm like, well, you want just the cable to go straight to the rear brake caliper, right? So just mm -hmm. beeline right to that thing. And there you go. You're, you're golden. Right. And um, uh, no, that is not how that works. And so if you end up with a, what, what you don't want is a straight shot because you will actually get a lot of telescoping and kind of the cable wants to compress and squish and, and mm -hmm. elongate and, and shorten and everything. Yeah. And if, if your cable routing is prone to that type of behavior, then what you get is, is a lot of cable movement inside the frame. Mm -hmm. And that's independent of just landing stuff and smacking around when you're going through, you know, yeah. breaking bumps and stuff like that. So you get a lot of that. But what I found, I, I expected, OK, for this first frame, I'm going to do this experiment where I'm going to use these this really sparse padding. And then I figure I'm, I'm going to live with cable rattle and it's going to drive me crazy. And I'm going to take that then information and yeah. learn learn from the next one. And it's been totally quiet. And I think a big, big part of that is that the cable is very isolated and there's not movement going on. In, in so there. how many people are riding the prototype? Is it just you or? This this one's just me. And then mm -hmm. I really, I put out the call for, for test riders to actually beat up this next one because the yeah, next one is. Yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. got about a billion replies. Right? Yeah, it's been it's been quite a few, and they're still they're still coming in, and and you know I I appreciate all the people from really really far away. I've had yeah. people from uh, Australia and Israel and stuff that that that, that yeah. want to ride it, and uh, and that that's super cool. Um, we'll finally have that opportunity. I mean, some people in the neighborhood have, have pedaled it around. Yeah. Uh, just guys I ride with and stuff, and then some people have seen it on the trail and been like, uh, "Oh shit, that's." that's the bike, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes sir. And, and so uh, how many, how many do you have coming for this first, uh, round of prototyping here? This, this, this batch will, uh, should have four pieces. And uh -huh. so I tend to be a, a really, um, uh, I tend to dot I's and cross T's. So even though I haven't, uh, uh, produced a, a single bike to put on the market yet, I, I have an insurance on everything. I'm planning on having warranty stock, Mm -hmm. uh, and I am, uh, uh, prepping to send a frame to act labs for testing, uh, you know, get everything certified and everything. So, so there, there's a process and lab testing will be involved. So one of these out of the next batch goes off for lab testing. Uh, one gets under a, uh, a rider who can thrash it, uh, thoroughly. And then, uh, uh, there'll be a, a couple extras that we'll, we'll see what we do with based on, mm -hmm. on that feedback. Got it. So, um, shoot, I just had a really, oh, so I noticed on the suspension that you had the EXT coil on there, which yeah, uh, I've been, yeah. I've been riding one of their coils lately and it really just is like, I've been crazy impressed with it. Yeah. What made you, uh, what made you dial in on them? Oh, I, I've, I've always heard really great things and, uh, I wanted a coil, um, because it's, it is a very progressive leverage ratio and it lends itself well to a coil. And that's just, uh, they're, they're widely regarded as the gold standard and, and riding it. I can understand why, yeah. um, what I didn't expect, it's just been a series of surprises and, and that's kind of why I'm doing it. It's just a really wild experience. But what, one of the things I didn't expect was that the, um, 
with the coil, uh, I expected the bike would be faster on the descents, and and it certainly is. It's it's smoked a bunch of PRs on on descents and stuff. But the, uh, I mean, it's annihilated PRs on climbs and everything. And this is against the 130 millimeter travel carbon bike I was riding before, mm-hmm. and that was with the coil. And um, almost more impressively, it's uh, I, I got trails that are uh, I don't I don't say flat, but they're 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 not predominantly up and not predominantly down you know they're kind of mm-hmm. like 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 not really flowy they got a bunch yeah. of stumps and, yeah yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah kinda, you know yeah. a lot of maneuverability kind of stuff like a, a lot of a lot of off camber stuff and turns and ups and little little ups and downs and stuff mm-hmm. and uh i wasn't even I, w- I wasn't uh i wasn't trying to go particularly fast that's actually just like the trail that i take to get to the little downhill section that i use for for actual testing in the mm-hmm. neighborhood and uh and i looked at uh, i looked at the the times on that the little strava times on that later and uh on a section of trail like that which is just like trail riding like what 99 percent of people do yeah yeah um it was it was ludicrous i think that thing's like a half mile section of trail or something like that and it had lopped off like you know minutes and minutes it was it was like hmm. faster than any time i'd ever done on the little carbon bike um and I and I wrote it a couple more times to figure out what was going on there. And it's it just for something like that. I mean, the geometry is a factor and stuff as, as well. But it with the coil spring, it just goes insanely fast. And mm-hmm. and then um, so I, what like is I, it? What what what's the thing? And I, I try to keep things like not too in the weeds for for people. Like, what's sure. the difference with your your suspension platform? Like, does the the wheel like does like does the the axle not get further away as it goes through its 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 it, um suspension or does it like you know what i mean like yeah yeah what, yeah, what yeah. The, what are the the major like kind of big ideas that your, yeah, your suspension yeah. platform does differently yeah i'll i'll try to keep it from getting too nerdy it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's it's a predominantly vertical axle path so it 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 uh it it begins by moving rearward um doesn't move tremendously rearward and doesn't move tremendously forward so you're always mm-hmm. balancing uh avoiding too much pedal kickback with pedal kickback is we really don't have it these days you have to really work almost to get legitimate pedal kickback but in the old days you used to ride a single pivot bike with a pretty high pivot when you'd ride over something you'd come down on the other side and you could literally feel the cranks like tug you know the chain was like yanking the cranks back and forth mm-hmm. um so you can you want to get away with a, a fair amount of rear axle path and and you don't want to uh uh but but you don't want to overdo it and uh and and you want a an axle path that that also moves uh forward again toward the end of the axle path to minimize that pedal kickback so you're you're finding these sweet spots and everything's a matter of compromises and balances mm-hmm. and in a nutshell what i what i uh, the the heart of the system is that um there's this thing on the bike called the instant center and and it's easy to visualize on a single pivot bike it's where your pivot is Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the hinge, right? If this thing were your screen door, that's, that's where it, it pivots uh, up and down um, is that center point on a virtual pivot bike that has a couple links, you got to draw lines through the links and then where that imaginary line connects, that's your instant center. Well, in a nutshell, my instant center 
is uh, more rearward on the bike than most designs. So my mm -hmm. instant center is is uh, basically just above the bottom bracket, a little below, uh, a little behind, kind of the 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 the, uh, the bottom bracket. And in in locating it so far toward the rear of the bike, like most bikes, a lot of horse link bikes project it way out in front of the bike. So mm -hmm. if you draw imaginary lines between your your pivots on like a horse link bike or something, you're usually seeing an instant center that's that's way out in front of the bike. But in being able to keep everything um, tight and consolidated around the, uh, the 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 chain ring, you have way less deviation when you're in different gears and things like that. So the mm -hmm. suspension behavior when you're mashing along in like a 32 24 is very similar to the suspension behavior when you're mashing around in like a like a like a 3450 or whatever you got like the, the mm -hmm. bike become the ride so much of the ride becomes a factor of, of how natural the bike feels and so, you, so the platform is pretty stable is what you're saying yeah that's a good way to put stable, it yeah, yeah 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 it's 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 it it's very intuitive to ride because the behavior is is, is very natural yeah, it's like predictable uh, through the different gear ratios. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, and and and, and you don't have a. It's it's not like you have a higher pulley on there or anything like that. So you're doing this with the just the yeah. traditional chain chain routing, like yeah. everybody's used to, right? Yeah, I th I think high high pivots are interesting and really cool. But I I would I would do one if I were doing like a park bike or a downhill bike or something. Mm -hmm. They're 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 a bit much uh, for me for uh, for for you know everything up to like an enduro bike, um, and uh, because there's a the, the thing that a lot of the original Jameis bikes that have had a good bit of reviews and stuff like that, um, the most rewarding thing was that people noticed that you can maintain that kind of uh, lively characteristic where you can still pop off of stuff and you can, mm -hmm. you can kind of, you know, jib around and it, they're, they're very maneuverable bikes, but mm -hmm. at the same time, they're, they're super forgiving. So you, you can kind of mash and everybody's kind of, that, that balancing act is kind of tricky to do. And I really like where the kinematics put us there, where you mm -hmm. have a, a really nice envelope that you can work within, where you can keep it lively. You can keep that mid-range kind of supportive. So you kind of smack into something, kind of hit a berm and you don't blow through all the travel. You still have support there. Mm -hmm. um, but you're you're really sensitive to like square edge stuff on the climbs and everything. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is when you have that kind of rearward instant center, it's it's almost as if the uh, the the swing arm is is pivoting. Um, if you if you picture your rear axle, um, uh, basically just going straight up and down, it, it's it's a it's a very kind of organic feel uh, on mm -hmm. on the bike. And then the the upside is it's let me keep the uh, what they call the the leverage ratio curves and everything. It's let me keep everything uh, very smooth. So mm -hmm. with a, with a lot of designs, you have a kind of like a like a like a drop off, you know, a, mm -hmm. a pretty extreme change somewhere along along the way. And all the curves on the bike, the, the most common ways people kind of uh, categorize suspension systems is there's usually uh, leverage ratio, anti squat, and anti rise. And mm -hmm. in, in the case of this, all, all of the lines are, are very smooth. You know, you mm -hmm. don't have dips and you don't you don't have a lot of a lot of curvatures and back and forth. And that, again, goes to that rideability, that that um, feel 
characteristic mm-hmm. where it's it it feels pretty natural to ride you don't have you want to kind of minimize unusual behavior where oh well every time you do this it it does that and that's like yeah, a quirk yeah. you know like because you got enough quirks as a rider um you know we all have our our our, our quirks as riders so you really want kind of a, a super stable supple but kind of super efficient suspension and kind of just just shuts so, up and works so you get these four bikes and um everything works out in in the best way possible what what do you think is like a time frame of where people could actually see this like are you thinking that like you're gonna have a booth at sea otter this year or you're thinking like yeah yeah i won't have a there'll be some there'll be some at sea otter just because enough enough people want them to 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 be there so it's it's a priority that you'll you'll be able to see some at sea otter um probably before that'd be rad yeah probably before before sea otter but they'll definitely be um with a little luck, I'll be pushing one around at, at Sea Otter um, for people to check out, and it'll definitely be in at least one booth. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'll yeah, definitely so, have to link up while we're there. I'd love to see. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll find you. Yeah, it'll so, it'll definitely be at Sea Otter. At, but the um, at at this point, just to check the interest levels, uh, I I did allow pre-orders, and there there are several pre-orders uh, for them. In fact, I'm probably going to be shutting down pre-orders because I want to make sure that there are enough frames. I'm only making like 20 frames that'll be available for sale. There's there's 25 total in the world, including the one in the garage right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, there will only be about about 20 available, and it's it's about time to kind of shut things down because you don't want to. Uh, I mean, I'm. I've been doing this for a long time and, and you, you don't want to do that where it's like, oh, I, I sold them all. Yay. Look at me. And then if there is some sort of problem, even if one gets stomped in shipping, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh, sorry, man, I can't deliver your bike to you. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just not cool. So um, there's just a right way to do it and kind of a wrong way to do it. So I'm trying to yeah. do things the right way. But but realistically, the, the beauty of this manufacturing method is if if it uh if things continue, uh, I, I'm ready for setbacks and I, you know, I welcome them. It's a learning mm-hmm. process and everything. But if, if things continue to, to, uh, to work, uh, you know, we're, we're able to roll into uh, what I would call product. We're never going to make a ton of these things, but roll into something like production relatively soon. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, in terms of expanding to, to, to other methods of manufacturing and things like that, we're, we're, we'd be ready to go for that. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you, you really wanted the frame have, have a certain look to it and um, it's sexy. It's really, I I really (laughs) like the the lines on the bike look really good. And, and I would hope that you always have like a raw aluminum available because that just, it just looks so sweet the way it is to put paint on it. I feel like it would be a, a, a bummer, but I'm sure it'll look good too. But uh. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a big fan of. Uh, it's not an accident that even the links are raw aluminum. Yeah. Um, because the standard, it's so standard to anodize all your small parts black that um, I had to say make sure we don't anodize any of the small parts black. You know, I just went this first the, the first bike that everybody's seen, the one that's that, that I've been riding is. Uh, uh, I, I didn't even uh, get have time to anodize it. I just wanted to get out there and and ride it. Like I said, I expected problems, you know, right, right. away. I expect to be busting stuff up, and um, uh, and and there were little things that, that were wrong, but overall, it's been it's been phenomenal. But 
Uh, everything else has to be bead blasted and anodized, but I'm going to work my ass off to keep it looking as similar mm -hmm. as it, to, to the way this this one looks now, because mm -hmm. uh, that's my for, that's my idea of a really good looking bike. Like if you can see yeah. the machining marks and some of the other stuff, yeah. that that that's really cool. So we got to protect it, we got to treat it, uh, got to have some sort of surface finish. Uh, so that's the, basically what the anodizing is for people. Yeah, it's really like, just protection, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and there's some things I want to do, be able to do with graphics and stuff that will be cool to do with with anodizing. But there's no uh, reason you couldn't Cerakote these or do anything else with it with it down the road. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, there, there would be potentially options for something like that. But again, I'm 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 pretty into the. I'm pretty into the raw aluminum look. And, yeah, and no, so it looks awesome. And I feel like you could do a lot with decals too and, and change, really change the way it looks. And well, what, Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to do was uh, there's certain small details on the frame, like the cable ports and some little pieces there. And then we, we're going to be 3D printing some a tailgate guard and a bash and a, and a down tube guard uh, for the mm -hmm. bike. And uh, in fact, I, I just got, got done ordering those and, and, uh, test i'm going to be testing some materials there mm -hmm. as well um those would be little touches where if somebody wanted to they could actually uh w w i was going to make the files available so if somebody wanted to 3d print their own uh color you know and people like making that stuff at home yeah, those yeah. parts are pretty easy to make so like if you want orange little accents on the bike like you could you could print them yourself or purple yeah. or whatever you want and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be just the decal set it would be you know the actual functional parts of the bike that you make your own color yeah yeah that's pretty rad so is this a one bottle cage two bottle cages what do you got on there it's got the got the one full-size bottle cage now and then there's a second mount uh, above the shock that you could do uh probably like a toolkit or something like that uh, uh -huh. i don't think you could fit two completely i don't think you could fit two bottles on it um but uh -huh. one big bottle was the priority and then um this this Next, this first version just has the two mounts, the toolkit mount underneath the uh, the top tube above the shock, and then the uh, full-size water bottle mount uh, down on the down tube. The one thing that I found that's cool is one of those little details that you don't really think about is it's been super muddy here uh, recently, and you grab the water bottle, and you go to take a drink, and that down tube is, is so big mm -hmm. that nothing gets on the spout, uh, the, the nozzle <laughs> of, the, of the water bottle. You know, I'm used to yeah. having to like, oh man, you know, spit out a bunch of mulch and everything. Yeah, right. And, and it's like, I, I was I was actually laughing alone in the woods the other day. People would think I'm completely nuts because you learn all these little things about the bike. And I grabbed the water bottle and it was just like totally clean. I was a brand new water bottle I just took out. It was still completely clean. The bike was nice. completely covered. But uh, yeah, so so the one full size and then the extra uh, extra uh, mount that, you know, with, with being as flexible with manufacturing, I'd love to make something really cool for the mount. So it's like a little stash kind of case or something like that mm -hmm. that you could bolt on up there. Um, and, you know, that's all potential stuff we could do down the road. And then the uh, the the this next one that's showing up will actually have uh brazons on the underside because the tailgate guard is removable is modular so that'll bolt on and then there's a, a whole other set down below for the actual down tube guard mm -hmm. that wraps around the bend and so uh all total there's you know a bunch of points on this thing where you have uh uh, uh you know small attachment points but mm -hmm. really just focused on the one model location and then the extra tool mount location mm -hmm. What's the seat tube angle and the head tube angle kind of? So, right, he yeah. 
Uh, head tube 65 uh, right now. If you're running a 160, it's again, I kind of went went trail. Um, I could mess mm -hmm. around with it. You end up uh, about 64 and a half if you were to run a 170, which is which is totally doable. Um, the C tubes is 78. It's like 77.7. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just been a revelation because, um, uh, I didn't expect the thing to be able to do, uh, climbing wise, what I could do on the shorter travel bike, but mm -hmm. it, it outclimbs the shorter travel bike and techie stuff all, all day long, like really mm -hmm. sketchy route, you know, slow speed route off camera stuff on turns going up corkscrew stuff. Uh, you, you just kind of plow right up stuff with the, with that head tube angle. It's, it's been incredible, like tight switchbacks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I could see if I do like a longer travel version someday, there's definitely some changes you could make and everything, but man, I've been, uh, the, the geometry has been kind of a surprise because I, 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 you know, this was all completely from a blank sheet of paper and, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I've been, been pretty happy with how it handles. I'm not sure how those uh, how the pivot points are on the the seat tube there, but it, it looks like the seat tube's pretty straight. It does. Is there any yeah. kind of like insertion issues with with droppers on how far they can get in there? Or? You can get. I'm I'm uh, I I'm still getting used to. I'm getting old and I'm shrinking, so I'm still getting used to to the fact that I I, I used to just be able to say I'm six feet tall. I'm 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 like five eleven now, and apparently oh, getting wow. smaller smaller every day. Yeah. But the uh, I'm running. I had been running a 210 uh, one-up dropper uh, in there, and so you have uh, a 210 in there. Then that sounds that's good. That sounds great. <laughs> it was a priority to try to get yeah. as much clearance as possible, and we focused on adding that. We did some some really cool kind of redesign work on the uh, adding a, a special port for the uh, for uh, on this new version that we'll be seeing for the first time for the for the dropper post and everything. But the uh, yeah, it's a priority to try to get as much clearance as possible. Your 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 uh, break point, your stopping point is uh, that upper pivot, but you don't run directly into it. You're you're kind of a little bit in front of it, um, mm -hmm. so it's more a matter of just being uh, uh, careful with our design, where you don't want to you don't want to uh, say that oh yeah just you know, you can cram anything in there because we, we right. could try to make it so that you could just really go, go to town. But I figure, uh, at, at five eleven on a, on a bike with like four, four ninety millimeter reach, four eighty four ninety millimeter reach adjustable. It's, uh, uh, I was pretty happy to, that the two ten works well. I thought I was going to have to reduce the two ten, um, but it, it swallowed it up just fine. And, uh, in fact, I think I probably have a little bit of room to spare. I feel like that's a pretty good spot. I mean, if you could fit a 210 in there, if you had somebody that was really tall, like looking for one of those 240s, they probably wouldn't have the, like it slammed at, with the P40. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So they could probably still get the drop that they needed and and fit it in there. But I mean, a 210 is, I'm 6'2", and I, I don't know many guys that are running a 210. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's definitely, you know, the, the sweet spot I think a lot of people are at or, you know, around that you know 170 mark or whatever but uh yeah i mean i think that 210 is to me it's like the standard at least for for me now yeah i i, I definitely remember when i first got into droppers i i remember thinking a 125 felt like the seat was gone and now i'm like i'm i find myself even on the 210 sometimes trying to push it down a little bit more and i'm like nope that's it that's the bottom yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you want as much as as much as you can get and i mean the real challenge is 
uh, is, is sizing and everything, you know, like mm -hmm. we're happy, I'm happy with where things are now, but, but the future, if, if uh, we're only doing the one frame size right now, that's super easy. Life gets difficult when you're trying to do a smaller frame size and you still want mm -hmm. that same capability because those are the people who really suffer, you know, the, the, the yeah. people that you have a smaller frame size, you just don't have enough seat tube to get that insertion. And um, so that's the type of thing where, you know, but I think most people that are buying a small aren't, they're going to need like, if they had a 170 on, I would yeah, think that'd be... that they were probably on the wrong frame. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 You, you just, you just, you don't, you don't want to have to have those compromises though. You never want it to be where like, you know, some, somebody's penalized for that. Yeah. If you can, if you can at least get them enough, enough clearance. Um, you, brought, you brought up a good point there though, with the sizing, I, I wasn't thinking about until then is uh, what is your plan for sizing the frames? I mean, some of them, you know, there's some historical ways to go about doing it. It's pretty much just shrink everything. And then nowadays there, a lot of companies are starting to have actually like different, different uh geometries let's say yeah for for smaller sizes or larger size frames what direction do you think you'll go uh i i think that's that's really cool and the direction that i want to go is is modular so mm -hmm. um the dropouts are modular on this thing right now and so the first version we're doing is going to have 435 millimeter uh chain stays so rear mm -hmm. center is going to be 435 millimeters on it but um I already have the the, the part uh, drawings for four forty five uh, millimeter chainstays, mm -hmm. and I think that's a really good good way to go. Is if you could do if you could do modular like that, then uh, if we if we do a larger frame, it would ship with the four forty fives. Any frame below a certain point would ship with the with the four thirty fives, and then you 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 also have the ability to fine tune. So to me, that's like the, the, the best case scenario is if you can have size specific geometry, but you also have some degree of tunability in there. You know, you so might have- the tuning that you're talking about, like some kind of chip or is it like- No, it's just, it's just like different dropouts. kind of pit, pit point, was it? Uh, no, they, they, they're just uh, uh, two uh, chain ring uh, bolts, like chain ring mm -hmm. diameter bolts uh, holding the dropouts on. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of similar, like Banshee's done similar things, and there's some other people who who, who do it when they, you want that like really you know range of adjustment. Mm -hmm. And I I, f I messed around with a, a lot of uh, different systems, and man, I remember you know riding single speed 29ers back in the day and stuff, and they had some janky you know adjustable features with dropouts and stuff like that, and that stuff would always loosen and creak and drive me crazy. And it's like th this is. This is as close to permanent as you can get to two big ass bolts holding everything uh, together and it jigsaw puzzle pieces in. So it's like like locked in because, mm -hmm. um, you, you you know, again, it's got to be totally quiet and, and bomb. Yeah, I had a Santa Cruz chameleon hardtail and they had like some kind of adjustable dropout kind of deal on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, anybody that's going to do it well, they do a really good job with, with that stuff. And I think they, I mean, they've had many generations of that as well. I remember right, the early right. versions were, were different than I think what they yeah. got going on now. There, there's a bunch of different ways out there, but um, yeah, this is just a totally modular, modular piece. Mm -hmm. um, you know, both the drive side and the non-drive side are adjustable. It, it sounds, um, uh, well, th there's a whole bunch of reasons to, to do it that way. The other thing you got to contend with when you try to do like slidey adjustable ones and stuff like that is you got to deal with your disc mount. 
And then you're usually doing some kind of crazy cockamamie thing with the with the dismount. And this way, it's just like you you bolt on the dropouts you want, and your brakes ready to go. Uh, it, it, it's set up for 180 standard. Yeah, uh, you know, so you could you can adapt up to to anything larger than 180. Mm -hmm. um, but you just bolt the dropout on, and you're ready to go. So so that's kind of my vision for that. And then we actually do have essentially an enormous uh, flip chip built into the head tube of the bike so the 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 first size we 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 made here is adjustable reach and wheelbase so it's 480 or 490 mm -hmm. um depending on where you're just like it. a uh, like a offset in the headset or something yeah. like that or? yeah okay. so it's just it's just a uh exactly it's uh, uh basically the head the 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 way the frame is designed you have the the giant bond with the lap joints but then there are pieces inside there that are bonded and the head tube is a bonded section and then into the bonded section you can slide these cups that are uh, adjustable and they they just mm -hmm. flip it around so it's just kind of kind of like a uh, like a reach adjust headset mm -hmm. right on let's get that i mean that the little details like that that you've been explaining just uh, I th think it goes along with your personality set of just being like a tinkerer. So you're like, oh, if I had this bike, I would want to be able to change the reach a little bit. Or I might want to change this, the drop house just a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's kind of cool stuff to mess with. I tried to make it really practical stuff like some of the early prototypes had uh, flip chips and we, we engineered a, a kind of uh, kinematic flip chip into the uh, the portal. Uh, mm -hmm. Jameis wanted to be able to run it as like a 27.5 plus or a 29 bike. And so there's like a, a like a small degree of adjustability built in there. Um, mm -hmm. And there, there's some kind of cool stuff that you could do. But uh, these seem to be like really useful strategic modular things. Whereas I said, mm -hmm. like if somebody wants the feel of a larger bike, um, you know, I would I would love to, I, I put off uh, uh, paying for them right now and having them cut to make those 445 dropouts. But obviously i would i would love to try it out with the 445 dropout and just take it down mm -hmm. the same thing i've been you know running down all the time with the with the head uh the the reach adjust it's it's relatively easy change to make and mm -hmm. so i've tinkered around with that both ways and um for a while i thought i was in love with the 480 and uh you know it's basically like whatever's fastest and then i went back yeah. to the 490 and and i i had a good time on the 480 and then went back to the 490 and it was even faster so I'm all for it. Yeah. Right I always have a hard time with that stuff. Like, I feel like it has to like really like hit me in the face for me to, to really see the difference. Like sometimes, uh, well, we, we all, I mean, honestly, none of us really know what the hell we're doing and that's okay. Like none yeah. of us are thin aisles <laughs> out there. And, yeah. uh, uh, the, the number of people like the Venn diagram of people who understand changes to their bike tuning and, and, and people who, wish they understood changes to their bike tuning almost don't overlap at all you know it's like yeah, a totally yeah. different animal and and but you know what that's okay because it's really fun to mess with this stuff mm -hmm. and uh and 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 that that's a big part of it is you, you learn from being a, that's how you learn you know mm -hmm. like if you if you have some adjustability built in uh it's certainly fun to mess with and so you know all the different suspension settings and, and some of the other things of, of everything that we could we could adjust uh that that wheelbase and the reach and the uh, chainstay length seem to have the most impact on like what people would be able mm -hmm. to really experience. So as far as your um, bottom brackets, that's just a normal like 68, 73 kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I am 
yeah, I'm a guy who's had a lot of bad experience with press fit bottom brackets, yeah. and I'm uh, I'm all about the uh, 68 millimeter threaded uh, bottom bracket. So mm -hmm. good old threaded bottom bracket. We we did it with the um, credit to Jordan at Serta here. This this idea is is really cool. Um, I mean, plenty of people have done something similar, but the way this this was done is just super clean. The ISCG05 uh, tab for for the uh, chain guide is uh, one of those ones that slides over the bottom bracket and is trapped on by the by the cup when you install okay. the bottom bracket cup. Yeah. So like lot, lots of people do it, but the way that it sort of organically fits into the frame where it looks cool without it, but it looks cool with it, and it, uh -huh. it doesn't require like splines or anything. It's just when you have a bike that's kind of as radical looking as the bike is, uh, you expect shapes anyway. So it's essentially just a shape that fits on there that, uh, like I said, when it's not on there, you don't really notice uh, anything missing. But when it's on there, it looks like it was made to be there. And it, you would think it's just molded right into the frame. Um, so it's 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 really cool. But yeah, 68 uh, bottom bracket, standard VSA threaded uh, bottom bracket. Um, and then your spacing on the rear is just regular boost. It's not one forty eight. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. With the with the dropouts, you know, you have some degree of future proofing there too. Because I'm mm -hmm. I'm first and foremost like a consumer, so I'm really aware of all these things. Where it's like, don't you know? I got stuck with you know this, and now the world's moved on, and so that yeah. I I got to tell you that was a factor as well. Is thinking about like, is there some things you could do to help future proof a little bit? Where yeah. if something, you know, if Super Boost takes over the world, then you're not completely defenseless. You might be able to adapt a, a little bit or something like that. And then, of course, we're using the uh, SRAM UDH, um, so the universal derailleur hanger. Yeah, yeah. Out back. Right on. Um, you said earlier that you you you're, you said we're never going to make a ton of these. So uh, it, your plan is to be to stay boutique. Like, what what kind of like annual numbers do you think that that is? Oh, it, it would be um, the the way the the business is built and how how lean we can run and everything. I'd I'd be a super super happy guy at a couple hundred units a year would would mm -hmm. be would be super cool. Um, and and above everything else is that uh, I don't I don't I want to make bikes that everybody can ride, and mm -hmm. I I don't you know I'm not. I want to make something that has the performance of a Bugatti, but not necessarily the price tag. So I'm not trying right. to be that guy. And and that's the most rewarding thing is if, if I can uh, get enough volume to drive the price down, drive my cost down and then just like pass that on. Um, I, I hadn't realized how expensive a lot of the frames out there have gotten. So right now mm -hmm. the, the, the frames are, are 5,000 with a Fox or a rock shocks uh, shock, which, which, you know, seems really expensive and, and is, right. um, but I was thinking, oh man, you know, that, that's a real premium. And it's, when you see it, it, it sort of makes sense. It's a really unique piece of equipment, but um, I looked at, uh, I, I didn't realize that MSRP on a lot of the frames these days are over four. Yeah. Uh, you know, the nicer stuff that's out there is, is, is really up there. And um, yeah, the prices, I mean, I, you could say some of it is, you know, covid or whatever but i think all in all like prices have been going up and um i i i would i i hate saying this but i mean i'd say probably five years ago or maybe a little bit more i would tell somebody if you bought a three thousand dollar bike like you had a really good like yeah middle of the road bike and i think that same bike now is probably like five grand 
Yeah, you know that's, probably, I mean? that's it's probably just, true. Yeah, it's it's legitimate. I mean, the the transportation costs and everything uh, went up, and and a lot of these companies have a lot of overhead. But there, there's above and beyond just the the kind of product that we're making that we're trying to make uh, that I'm trying to make really cool. Again, there is that kind of production philosophy that is um, being able to be successful with small batch and yeah. being able to say, like, I mean, the number one thing that a lot of people run into is you end up making compromises because you've committed to a uh, quarter to half million dollar uh, uh, inventory by uh, including tooling and everything else to make your dream come alive. And, uh, you know, the sad reality is, is when when you're that leveraged, um, the world could move on and, and seat tube angles could change or something like that. But you've got to sell what you brung. You know what I yeah, mean? And yeah. it's going to take you a long time to go through them. And what I want is flexibility. You know, this this mm -hmm. is a digital file. Um, if, uh, if, if the world ends tomorrow, the digital file moves, you know, from that part that's crumbling away over to this part that's crumbling away. And you can, you can, you can build these things, uh, with a minimum number of, uh, externalities. You know, we eliminated a lot of the tooling. We eliminated a lot of the, the, the heat treat and the other steps mm -hmm. and the processes and stuff. So that lets you do things like, you know, I got, I got 25 people that want a small, Let's do it. Let's let's make yeah. a small. And and when you can get the sizes down to, to that degree, then you really are a consumer driven company, which which is mm -hmm. ultimately what I want. You know, if everybody mm -hmm. if everybody wants a, a high pivot version of three VO suspension for a park bike that kicks ass, um, I don't I don't I don't need uh, you know my f financial uh, advisor to clear it for you know production yeah. for a million dollars it's like if 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 25 50 people want them um you know i'm crazy i'll put the time in to develop it and mm -hmm. uh because I'll, I'll i'll want one too and let's yeah, do it with with uh without money and and market and all that other stuff in mind like and i know you still have you know quite a quite a bit of work to do to get yourself where you're producing what you're what you're putting or what you're developing right now what would be the next thing that you would consider would it would it be like a mullet or would it be a high pivot kind of thing or putting a putting a motor on it or like what would be like like yeah. if if you could just move in any direction you wanted to right now what would you what would you look at yeah the uh i mean the e thing is really interesting um but that is a lot like if anybody is, has looked at like buying a 3D printer uh, or uh, th there's an analog to uh, being a manufacturer looking at e-bike motors right now. Because in mm -hmm. the time that it's going to take me to finish this sentence, somebody's come out with a better system, uh, better yeah. motor and uh, uh, availability sketchy. And you want to find kind of like a good partner. And um, I would want it to be on par with what we're doing with the, you know, analog or muscular mm -hmm. bike whatever you want to call it it would have to bring something new to to the to the table yeah. and be innovative and cool um that's certainly interesting uh gearboxes are interesting the uh super groovy unholy union of those two is super interesting you know somebody yeah, doing that, i really think i just had this conversation the other day with somebody i really think that that e-bike and the gearbox is where you're finally going to see the derailleur disappear because it just makes like you're not going to yeah. be you're not concerned about the weight as much, and you're you're then like just adding more of that like weight to the middle lowest part of the bike, and which is not a bad place to have it, and like 
and you can get yep. rid of derailleur like to me is the the most like if you're if you're an alien you landed on you know earth <laughs> and you looked at the bike you'd be like why is like the most important part of the drivetrain hanging down close to the rocks <laughs> that you know, yeah like, yeah yeah, exactly. And, and the, uh, so, you know, I think that's, that's really interesting. And, uh, Honda's venture into downhill racing, you'll remember the bike back in the day, the gearbox bike and, and uh, all the amazing stuff that, that happened there. There's no mistake that, that, that the, the finish looks kind of similar to that on, on what I'm doing. And, and really I'm all about that. Um, not really tying myself to any conventions um mm -hmm. the the way we're making the bikes lets us really explore a, a lot of different things so mm -hmm. I, I want to be unencumbered by limitations where normally somebody would say well you know we ordered two hundred fifty thousand motor mounts so we're committed to this we got to do this we got to yeah. do that we have a i'm all about an agile platform and um we have an agile platform i would think that the way that your bike is designed even though it's designed for like CNC that you could turn those parts into carbon pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's actually in some ways more like a carbon frame than it is a uh, traditional welded aluminum frame with extruded right. tubes and stuff, because the, the cool thing about the CNC, at least the, the way we're doing it is you can control the wall thicknesses in certain areas and everything. And that's kind of similar to the layout processes you would do with a carbon bike where it's like, you need the aluminum to be, you, you need the wall to be a little thicker here. Well, our, right. ours is, you know, you can do that and you need extra reinforcement here. Uh, yeah. Okay. We, we did that because. Right. So you could like stiffen it up down by the, yeah. the bottom bracket or whatever, where you want it to be a little bit like less flexy and then exactly. yeah. where you want it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have a lot of that same kind of control. So in some ways it's, it, it's, it, it shares, uh, some, some traits with the carbon frames that way. And, and, um, you know, I'm not anti-carbon uh, frame at all. I, I love the look of the of the CNC machine frame, and I'm I'm really drawn to it, and I and I love that. I I, I wouldn't rule uh, anything out. I mean, to me, the the key thing would be if there is a way um, to bring the suspension technology and kind of my particular aesthetic, what I think looks good in a bicycle, to a wider mm -hmm. range of riders. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm there. So if there was like a lower cost version that we could do someday and, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, th this thing is a, is a total blueprint for being able to, to, to do lower cost versions. And mm -hmm. that's the type of thing you partner up. And if somebody wants to get on board and, 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 and uh, push the go button on a bigger project, um, we, we got a great proof of concept bike. Uh, but so, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that could happen that would help bring it to a, a whole you know wider range uh, of riders. But at the same time, the agile manufacturing uh, keeps us able to pivot into additive and all kinds of other things as well. You know, already mm -hmm. there's parts of the bike that are going to be 3D printed, um, that, but that technology is, again, changing so fast. That's, that's like the motor situation where every time you blink, yeah. somebody's completely uh, developed a new additive manufacturing method. Yeah, who knows where that stuff goes? I mean, honestly, like if you were listening to the 3D printing companies, they would think they would get you to a point where there's some day where you're like, hey, I want the new ministry and you just load the stuff in yeah. your printer and you print one out at your house and then you're like, oh, there you go. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I have some some truly radical ideas, um, but th that's, uh, you know, there, there's probably a 
10-year development uh, curve on this where all the things that you could do and some of the technology yeah. isn't there yet. But really, I'm, I'm anticipating and in kind of a similar way that I, I kind of thought the Internet was going to be a thing. I really think that uh, rapid uh, decentralized manufacturing is going to be a thing. And so this yeah. is just the way to do it right now. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, all about the flexibility and the way we're doing it now might not necessarily be the way we do it in the future. The things that would stay the same would be the emphasis on the, the ride and the suspension performance yeah. and, and it looking uh, like it means business. Yeah, yeah, I know. The thing looks 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 amazing. What you were saying about the the printing, I I um I agree with you. Man. I really feel like I before I had a 3D printer, I I would hear people talk about it and I didn't really it didn't really register to me like what the power of that was. Yeah. You know, I always wanted one just cuz I'm a guy like like I come up with ideas all the time, so it's really fun to to be able to just think of something and make it. But once I had it and I really like you really understand how easy it is to just like fabricate something or to get something that like, you're like, Oh man, I wish I had a little different mount for my Garmin that fits a 35 millimeter handlebar and somebody already did it for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. you might need, not even have to pay for it. I mean, and someday I would imagine everybody's going to be monetized on all of that stuff, but it's like, the ease of just being able to walk over and hit print and, and then have something that you didn't yeah. have, you know, two hours or three hours before. I mean, I'm sure in the future that stuff's going to like come out in like seconds compared to what it is now. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really different world to live in when you really start thinking about all of the things that like, like all the different things you can have, like you break your phone case and you just print a new one or like there's so many like little like pieces and parts in your car that yeah. could be just like poop right out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. It, I, it, it really like definitely makes you think about the world in a different place. Um, compared to today when you, you think about that technology. So, yeah, manufacturing in general has become a little more democratized and it's it's gotten a little easier and 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 not just with additive i mean even with the with the cnc machining and stuff you can go online to 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 prototype hubs and zometry and some of these different places and you can if you can uh doodle it up and and pass the basic parameters uh you can have it in your hand and yeah. uh you know that that's super true of additive but it's also true even of cnc machining things and um that's opened up a whole lot of capabilities. I know a lot of frame builders that are that, that have 3D printers, even if they 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 just have plastic ones for testing things and everything. Yeah. And it lets you do so much. I I, I did that uh, back when my but b- before the 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 family uh, cats tagged up and destroyed my 3D printer that, that I used to have in the office here next yeah. to me. The uh, the early linkages for the first generation of the bike were all 3D printed. And uh, you could, you know, get yourself some nylon and, and 3D print a strong enough structural part where you could you could mock it up, test your clearances and everything. And pr- yeah. I mean, I pressed bearings into them. I went out and I, and yeah. I thought, yeah, you know what? This is I'm feeling good enough about this where, yeah, I'm going to get on this bike. And then I snapped the hell out of everything. Yeah. But it yeah. was uh, it was fun while it lasted. Yeah. You have a buddy that uh, paints prints for one of the major bike manufacturers and they 
actually had to start putting signs on them when they had them in the office <laughs> like do not sit on this because it yeah. looks like a like a bike yeah. and people would walk up and go sit on it and they'd be like you know this thing's held together with super glue it's yeah like yeah DLA. you know it's that like was uh, durable. <laughs> that was supposed to go to your old bike buddy now you need yeah. to make one you need to make one yourself tonight uh yeah I, I hear you yeah they do they look really good and particularly with the carbon frames i mean there's not really that much difference between a thermoplastic stereo lift kind of print and a and a uh and a, and a carbon finished carbon frame i i'll bet that's happened multiple times or somebody yeah like, yeah uh, yeah yeah so it's interesting though i mean it, it, it's definitely uh it's it's cool to to be able to do that you know and and see things and i think also as a person that's trying to design you know being able to have the flexibility to have it in your hand and actually see it work yeah. like sometimes things look beautiful on a cad program yeah. and once they're in your hand you're like oh that's not gonna work you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> no the functionality is super critical when i mentioned cable routing before i know how much work uh james has put in to the cable routing on the bike and 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 the work that we've done and to be able to even 3d print a section of the bike just mm -hmm. to be able to have an actual mechanical physical characteristic mm -hmm. um, and route a cable through it and see how it behaves and stuff like that. You don't even have to print a, a complete entire bike to learn a, a lot. You can print little sections and gather so much data that is just really hard to simulate otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's just incredible. And then with the, with the kind of parametric adjustments and stuff, you could, you really, we're going to enter kind of a new age of customization and, uh, and manufacturing. And, uh, you know, that's really kind of my, my goal is to, to be an early with a, a version of that that's that's definitely going to be built to mm -hmm. evolve. So you got these new bikes showing up. You're thinking you're going to be walking around with with one of them in, at Sea Otter. What, what, are you, uh, what are you excited about in 2023? Oh, actually uh, having the, just, just the, the, the physical presence. If, if we could have uh, this thing reach the point where I'm, I'm – putting in an actual order, you know, beyond the pre I take care of everybody who's pre-ordered mm -hmm. and, and, and there's, uh, there's demand after that. Um, and then there, there's enough interest in a smaller size, getting to design more stuff is, is what motivates me. So to mm -hmm. be able to, uh, work on the next version, that, that would be phenomenal and, and mm -hmm. have that level of interest where you can, as I mentioned before, you you don't need uh, to be able to to demonstrate, you know, hundred thousand orders to to be able to make something. You you, mm -hmm. you can really focus on making small groups of people really really happy and excited about the product. That's that's what does it for me. So to see acceptance, if if we make it across the finish line, and it could be it could be a multi year thing, but but if if we if we make real progress in twenty three. We take care of all the the, the registered pre-orders, and we uh, we open it up a little bit, and we look at uh, ways to to keep improving it and, and lower costs as we go, mm -hmm. and and see what the capabilities are. These first ones I, I bought at the absolute peak of the aluminum market. You know, seventy seventy five aluminum is not inexpensive as a as a yeah. material, and I I don't think I could have timed it any worse. You know, <laughs> I think it was like a hundred year highs or something yeah. like that of what what aluminum is. So. Um, you know, again, the agility is what matters to me, the ability to design and move quick and, um, mm -hmm. and, and that'll take many forms, but yeah, new sizes, new, new travel lengths, uh, so adjustability. I'm just going to assume that the size right now is basically a large by the height that you told me you were. 
Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You can always tell like what you could almost tell the height of any uh, brand owner, you know, like uh, <laughs> a company president or whatever, based on you know what they call a medium or a large. And uh, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's probably a little long for for me. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, by some standards, yeah, I call it like a medium large because it's like a four eighty four ninety. But uh, plenty of people have been like, dude, you're high. Like a four ninety is not, you know, that's 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 longer than some people's XLs. You know, so that's yeah. it's a pretty long bike. Um, but with the it's it's so hard to explain to people these days geometry wise with the super steep seat tube angles uh, a really yeah. long i mean i have i have a a guy a friend that i ride with who, who hopped on it and he's he's probably five eight five nine and he's like this feels really good and and mm-hmm. you know to some degree that that the way bikes have gone where the seat tubes are essentially as, as small as you could get them i mean the next size mm-hmm. down might have the same seat i'll probably take a little bit off just 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 to do it but the the this is as low as we could possibly drop it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, this bike is real radical angles and it's, it's dropped real low. Uh, so you're really just, uh, it, it's pretty comfortable to somebody who's even shorter. Uh, you're just really playing with the reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, if, if I was to explain it to somebody that's listening and hasn't had, hasn't had a break in traffic or something like that to go look at it, it's kind of like the, the DeLorean, uh, of bike. <laughs> you know, it's got that, you know, just that super clean lines and nice and square, ed- like square edged kind of lines that I, I, I would like, maybe a little bit reminds me of the eminent bike as well. There's a yeah, yeah. In that, that, that aspect, but, uh, no, it's, it's definitely a beautiful looking bike. So I'm excited to see it walking around Sea Otter. So. Yeah, hopefully that'll be the next step as more people get to get to check them out, get more people able to ride them, see what they think. I'd love to have mm-hmm. little zones where people could check them out different places around the world. Just, you know, mm-hmm. pop in test ride. I got a lot of big ideas for for helping people be able to find mm-hmm. them to ride. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it, how it goes. I'm just kind of working on enjoying the process. Right on, man. Well, it's been a, a really good time sitting down and chatting with you. I appreciate that uh, you were able to to make it work. And um, I'm like I said a second ago, definitely definitely stoked to take a look at it in person. And uh, yeah, gotta 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 get you see it one, and uh, we'll stay in touch on it. And hopefully, as more of them get out there, more more people will be able to see them. Uh, yeah, hopefully, may, maybe I can make my way up to the PNW there and we can throw a leg over one or something like oh, that. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, give it a little bit of time. This is not our best, our prime uh, time of year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but uh, any, yeah, any, I try to uh, go up to Bend every year. I got a buddy that lives there. At, he, um, the the guy that runs three two one hubs. Oh, Jake. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, I always yeah. go up and ride with him. So it wouldn't be that hard to get over to Portland either. So. Oh, let's do that. Let's. I'll meet you in Bend. I look for excuse yeah. to get out there. Oh, yeah, cool. be be good to see see Jake, and and that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a riot. I always uh always <laughs> have a good time with that guy. So yeah. nonetheless, I always like to ask: Do you watch much YouTube? Uh not a ton these days. I'm pretty much if I'm in front of the computer, it's usually involved with the with the with the bike. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean some. I always ask people what uh, what channels they like watching. Just doesn't necessarily have to be a bike thing. Sometimes, man, people have something that they've been watching that's just super interesting. And it's a fun, <laughs> fun question that has nothing to do with anything at the end of the show. So I'm kind of I, I I'm sort of all bike. I, I nerd out on a lot of weird kind of business uh, podcasts and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm checking out a bunch of stuff that's related to all sorts of weird, you know, like additive and some of the other stuff that's yeah. out there. So I'm pretty. I'm pretty nerdy when it when it comes to that stuff. Um, in terms of entertainment, 
you know, I'm, I'm probably uh, Spotify and uh, in the background, some obscure, uh, weird uh, ambient doom metal or something strange, <laughs> uh, you know, like truly bizarre um, that uh, going on in the background. But yeah, usually yeah, I'm, right? I'm typing something. So it's hard to uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, not watching yeah, that yeah. much these days. No, that's rad, man. Like I said, I definitely had a great time chatting with you. It was lots and lots of fun. So um, looking forward to seeing more from from you and ministry and anybody out there that hasn't um, given him a follower over on Instagram. Do you put the same stuff on Instagram and TikTok? Is it yeah, I've just been running. Yeah, I've just been keeping yeah, okay. it simple. It's basically an extension of my my day is just yeah, I hit, yeah. hit Instagram, hit TikTok. I haven't gotten fancy with it yet with mixing up the, the mediums and stuff. I'm just kind of keeping it keeping it simple because I'm a one man band is kind of yeah, no, so no, I, I can do. totally understand believe me yeah. I, I know there's only so much time in a day and it's like what do you want to focus on i i, I saw you had a, a facebook page set up but it seems like most yeah, of your content is instagram or tiktok so i just want to make sure that letting people know go check them out ministrycycles.com or look up ministry cycles on instagram or, or tiktok and, yeah it's uh, just at ministry cycles everywhere um, right and uh so easy to find i really really appreciate the time and uh, appreciate you having me on and definitely stay in touch. I feel like the, the, you know, the big news is probably yet, yet to come. Uh, we'll see what we can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, give me a second to wrap this up and, and uh, definitely want to chat with you for a second afterwards, but nonetheless, uh, everybody out there, like I said, give him a follow. And if you're on Instagram, giving him a follow, you might as well swing by the biker page as well. And give me, give me a, a little hit there as well. I, Appreciate all of you guys out there. Like I said at the beginning of the show, happy new year to all. I want you guys all to have a great year. So here we are off to a pretty good start with a really, really rad company. So anybody out there that's been thinking about helping out the channel and um, maybe helping, helping with a little bit of support, swing by Patreon and just um, give it a look. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not. Either way, there's one thing that's for free and it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one. <laughs> nice.